you want to you start from the beginning again? Yes, yes. We have had multiple false starts at this <laughs> because of our complete ineptitude. Um, in computering. Yes. Uh, despite the fact that I work in AV and you work in IT. Yes. So, uh, I'm Connor. I'm Sam. We are the Dungeon Bros. We are not brothers. We are uh, brothers from another mother, if you, want us, if you want to call us that. I do not. Interesting. Interesting. Do you not love me like a brother? Uh, I, that, I, I mean, I don't have any actual uh, brothers, uh, so my familial situation is does not reflect that. Yeah, he, he was floundering there for an answer, and he tried to weasel his way out. That's fine. I do have a brother. Yes. And I love you like a brother. You didn't like living with your brother, did you? He was perfectly fine to live with for a while. Okay. Uh, we butted heads, as siblings do. Sure. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. What uh, isn't what it isn't is a bad segue. So I'm not going to do that. We are going to be talking about Fizbin's Treasury of Dragons, the most recent uh, Dungeons & Dragons supplement that has been released by Wizards of the Coast. Um, we've both had a chance to look through it. Uh, Sam has taken extensive notes. By extensive, uh, I have written down things in my own handwriting that I can't read. Yes, yes, I have not. Uh, and while ostensibly the Dungeon Bros podcast is a Dungeons and Dragons based podcast at the same time I want to lead off with I got a cat today yes yes you're cat. very excited about that and if you are a fan of Critical Role you will probably love that I named her Jester she is adorable she's a black and white cat she's got like the most perfect little white paws she got a black little nose she is like a year old she's lovey and and cuddly and just an explorer, and I love her. I love everything about her. Um, we don't have, as we're recording, we don't have any uh, videos of her on our TikTok or YouTube, but I suspect we will be, we'll be using her for some bits, <laughs> as, we often, as we often like to use props. Uh, we, had a, we have a stuffed lion over there that we've been using, Rhaegar, for yes. a while. Yeah. Rhaegar has been our stand-in for any familiars uh, in videos. For sure, for sure. We will have to be uh, redoing a find familiar thing mm -hmm. with uh, Jester for sure. Uh, currently, after a long like three-hour introduction together to my room, uh, setting up a little base camp, a little bit of exploring throughout the rest of the house, I'm kind of leaving her to her own devices for the first time for this recording. And before we move on, before we recorded, you said something that um, offended me to my core. Good. In the is a hot dog a sandwich debate. Mm, yes. Yes. Um, you, I believe you said that the hot dog is a sandwich, which I do agree with. The hot dog is a sandwich. Decidedly so. Yeah. But you, would, you went so far as to say that the hot dog should be put on the sandwich portion of a menu of a place that offers both sandwiches and hot dogs. If the place offers like one or two different hot dog options, maybe like the hot dog and the cheese coney, then yes, it should go in with all the other sandwiches. But if the uh, restaurant specializes in hot dogs um, to where like, you know, they have special named hot dogs, like the New Yorker, or the Philadelphia, or you could get the Philadelphia known for its hot dogs, I might say. Yes. Then in that case, like the sand, the section should be hot dogs. I would say if you have more than four options for the hot dog itself, it so, should have its own section. So if you go to this restaurant, this hypothetical restaurant that has uh, a hot dog, maybe a Coney for those of you that are not from the the Midwest, I assume it's a Midwest thing, if not at the very least a greater Cincinnati area, Ohio, Kentucky thing of the cheese coney, mm -hmm. a hot dog with chili and cheese, usually diced onions and mustard as well. It's phenomenal. Uh, a lot of people I'm sure are extremely offended by that. Good. But um, say you go to this hypothetical restaurant that doesn't exist because it shouldn't exist. And you say, you know what? Just get me anything and any sandwich that you have on the menu, and they bring you a cheese coney. Would you be disappointed? Personally, would that, would that be what you're expecting? Because I personally, while I love the cheese coney, if I said, you know, I really want a sandwich, and they handed me a cheese coney, I would be, I would be rather perturbed. Well, here's my question: Is why are you leaving it up to the staff to choose your meal if you? are going to be perturbed when you mm -hmm. receive mm -hmm. a, a, mm -hmm. a food item. That is, that is a very fair 
question, but uh, as someone who has been to many a new restaurant for the first time, in fact, every restaurant I've ever been to at some point was my first time there. That's how that works. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, my family, or at least my brother, is a very, very big fan of the, um, what do you recommend methodology for picking something to eat at a new place? Okay. And if, you know, if I'm saying I want a sandwich, I want some bread, I want some meat, I want some other sorts of toppings and fillings, mm -hmm. but uh, you, you just kind of leave it up to, up to the wait staff, up to the people that are here that okay. know the menu inside and out, that know what's good. Okay. They're not going to lead you astray. Right. You know? I mean, at its core, hot dog a sandwich, yes, does it deserve to be in the sandwich section of a menu? I would say no. So you're saying if, if you went to a different restaurant not this previous hypothetical restaurant we're speaking of and they had you know let's say they had eight different sandwiches under the category sandwich and then below it they just had hot dogs yes. and they just had the option of a you know a hot dog in a bun with mustard you think that should be completely removed i would say yes Mm. Yes. Yeah. Well. Or, at the, or at the very least, you know, its own subsections of just generic entrees. So a hot dog is more of an entree and less of a sandwich. I mean, it is decided. If, I mean, if we're classifying the fucking thing, like obviously it's a sandwich. Yes. I'm just we saying, agree on that. I'm just saying that sociologically, it doesn't belong in the sandwich portion of the menu. Much in the same way that the cheeseburger does not belong in the sandwich part of the menu. It belongs in the burger part of the menu. And I would argue, if there is a place that is serving hot dogs, they're going to have a hot dog portion of their menu. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Again, I would like to remind everyone this is ostensibly a Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> podcast. At this point, I think we should just uh, lead right into it. Sure. Uh, Fizzbin's Treasury of Dragons. It's uh, Wizards of the Coast's newest book released... October 26th. Octo October 26th. Uh, it is, as the title would infer, a treasury of dragons. It is a uh, dragon-based uh, supplement book. It's got some character options in it. It's got some magic items. Mm -hmm. It's got some new ways uh, to look at dragons, to roleplay dragons. It's got a lot of new stat blocks for unique and interesting dragons. Give What is your just kind of like thousand foot view, eagle eye view, elevator pitch? What do you think is the strength of this book? And should someone go get it? Um, so I think the strengths for me personally are dragons. Uh, <laughs> I have been, I have loved dragons for a very long time. As far as it goes, I don't think it needs to be included in like maybe first time D and D. You must have this book. I I would say that once you get into the game a little and you're like, I want to explore a little more as a as a dungeon master. I think this is a great uh great place to go for a lot of creativity and other sorts of um, inspiration, um, really in the how to play different dragons. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Since there are so many tables that give you uh, ways to customize dragons' looks, attitudes, and things like that. Agreed. I would agree. This is definitively, I would say, a Dungeon Master uh, supplement book. Um, if you are a player character, if you're playing a Dragonborn, um, there is some stuff here for you, but this is definitively for the Dungeon Master. And I think it's sections on um, role-playing dragons, uh, new ways about how to incorporate dragons into your world at all levels. Um, if, you're, if you have dragons that are just kind of uh, in the background, they're not like super involved in everyday society, but people know they exist. Or if they're like ancient gods, basically, that are rarely ever seen in your world. Or if it's like Something that a village has to worry about. A dragon comes swooping down and burning their village down. It really adds a lot of depth to how to roleplay different dragons, different personalities, how to incorporate them into the plot as something possibly other than just a stat block for your characters to go up against. Maybe a quest giver or a, a sort of warring faction sort of thing. Um, I would, I would say this book gave me a lot of inspiration and wanting to play in a Dragon Hunter campaign, <laughs> for sure. If you think you're going to have dragons be an important part of your world, I would say pick it up. It's a good book. It's got a lot of great, it's got a lot of terrifying stat blocks, which I will get into later. If you watched our TikTok 
you probably have seen one of uh, our video, or at least hopefully you've seen one of our videos on um, the Elder Brain Dragon, which we're just going to leave that as it may <laughs> for right now. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Oh, I love it. This is this is out of all of the uh, supplements so far, and we have most of them. Yeah. Um, I would say this this is pretty high ranking for me. Yeah. I wouldn't put this up with like Atasha's or Xanathar's, but this is, I'm, I'm glad we have it. Yes. I'm glad that we added it to the collection. This one kind of falls along the lines of Volos, Mordenkainen's, and Fizzbins, and I would say both Volos and Mordenkainen's feel very similar, and they give uh, information on a, you know, I think it's seven different uh, monster kinds in each, um, where this one obviously just focuses on dragons. I think for me, I would, you know, if, if I had to choose two, this would be one of them. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, well, let's dive. Let's just crack this book open right now. We're just going to. So chapter one, mm -hmm. character creation. goes over all of the uh, draconic options that you have for your character, specifies some differences between chromatic, gem, metallic, dragonborn, offers a couple subclass options, uh, the monk, way of the ascendant dragon, and the ranger, the drake warden, uh, and also some draconic feats, as well as uh, gifts from dragons as well. Um, I will say that the the dragon gifts part of it, it definitely seems like they were trying to be like, is this a feat? Is it not a feat? What line are we going to draw there? Um, I would say even with the feats and these gifts, like treat them as like a handout to the players less than like you got an ASI and now you can take it. They're a little bit underwhelming in that form. Yeah. Um, the Drake Warden... Uh, for the ranger is basically just a beast master, but you get a dragon, so it's better. <laughs> I think I think the Drake Warden is just it, it's not markedly greater than the beast master, but I do think if I were to play, if you're like, hey, you can either play a beast master or a Drake Warden, I'd be like, this is a really weird thing that you're making me do, but okay, I'm going to play the Drake Warden. Um, just in general, I think it's it's more interesting. The idea of your players having or as a player, having a uh, flying, mountable creature is um, very tantalizing. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it rustles my jimmies in the best possible way. Good. Good. Um, yeah, I think that the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to let, you, let yeah, you hang on that. You know, um, wrestling your jimmies, great. It's mm -hmm. 2010 again. Mm -hmm. But I would say the Drake Warden is more interesting than the uh, Monk Way of the Ascendant Dragon. Yeah, sadly, this book, I feel like, falls into the, the classic trope of the Monk, good, not great subclass. Yeah, the, mo the Monk is really just kind of... They're, they're, it's really needing a big, like, bomb subclass and for whatever the re whatever reason wizards of the coast seems like they're worried about making the monk too powerful i don't know why <laughs> i think it's not powerful enough especially when you compare it to some of the subclasses that were in tasha's i mean the twilight cleric was just like such a massive power creep i think it definitely comes down to um whatever creator at wizards is actually writing each section of the book mm -hmm. um and i i definitely feel like so the person who wrote like the twilight domain um it's a good example uh definitely had a lot more love for their like this is a thing i want to write whereas um with a lot of the monk subclasses honestly uh it's been more all right we need a new monk subclass what are we doing yeah yeah um, so that's about all there is for player character options. Uh, the next section is dragon magic, and it's got some great uh, magic items in there. Um, it's got some horde magic items, which are basically just magic items that level up with a uh, dragon horde. I, I, I perused through the magic items. Uh, some of them are more interesting than others. Mm -hmm. um, but I need, I need to shout this out. There is a magic longbow. Yes. That is not an oath bow. Correct. It is the second ever printed Wizards of the Coast magic longbow. And that isn't just simply a plus one, plus two, plus three weapon. And um, it really is, just, to me, highlights the need for maybe not a full book, but a big section of one of these supplement books dedicated to like arms and armor. Because we're... We're really lacking for some uh, for some 
ranged magic weapon options. I don't even think there's a magic crossbow, like, at all. Well, that's that's something we've talked about before. And I don't know if this is the, the podcast you want to do. Maybe this is a future podcast. But, you know, base game, there's really no reason to choose besides thematic and beside, you know, it's either you choose the weapon or the armor for thematics or for uh, straight damage. Like... There's no reason for me as, let's say I'm a, a fighter or a paladin who has access to literally every weapon. There's no reason for me to choose to play with, you know, a rapier over a long sword. Mechanically. Uh, mechanically. Um, again, it's there thematic are, versus damage at that point. There, there are some edge cases. Your, um, your finesse property, letting you use dexterity on the rapier, right. or uh, being able to use versatile on the on the long sword if you have both your hands available. But um, there are a lot of there. There is a big problem of a lot of the weapons mechanically just being the same. Mm -hmm. And I agree with that. Um, are there any uh, magic items you want to shout out? I actually uh, yes, I, I wrote down my three favorite. The Amethyst Lodestone, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it has basically three different uh, effects you can use with six charges per day. Uh, a flight for 10 minutes, um, be able to uh, cast a spell for three charges, and I forget the third one. But it's simple, and uh, it's just one of those that a lot of magic items just give you a thing to do or a boost. I like the ability to... This is three simple options, but each one is very effective. Yeah, it definitely it definitely gives the vibe of um, you're not a dragonborn, but you kind of want to be a dragonborn. So here's a magic item that lets you kind of be a dragonborn. Yeah, you know. Um, moving on, <laughs> we got drag. Well, I don't, well, you what, do you have more magic items? I had I, I wrote down my top three. All right, do the other two. All right, cool. We have the crystal blade, which, and the uh, flail of Tiamat. Um, the crystal blade. Oh, hold on, hold on, hmm? hold on. The flail of what? Tiamat. The flail of Tiamat. Tiamat. We're gonna, anyway, we're gonna we're gonna have we're gonna have a talk about this. <laughs> yeah, literally, that's that's the whole point of a podcast. Um, but both of these two weapons, I think, a lot of magic weapons also kind of suck um, compared to like spellcaster implements mm -hmm. magic implements uh the, like legendary weapons and this book doesn't do much better with their legendary weapons uh the dragon lance being the one that annoyed me most and i get it legendary weapons basically are going to be a plus three and typically some other effect that happens on a crit or some other effect specifically against a certain type of target Yet you jump over to the spellcaster's uh, legendary items, and they're like, "Here, double your ability to spellcast." I mean, the one of the, one of the things that Wizards has made uh, a conscious point of is uh, with a lot of the uh, spellcaster-focused magic items, they're not handing out like a plus three. Mm -hmm. uh, with it's really reserved for um, the melee casters or the melee casters. The, the martial classes. The martial classes, thank you. Um, it's really only reserved for the martial classes. Caster magic items, for good reason, really, really avoid buffing up uh, spell save DCs. Because once you start getting like a 24, 25, 27 spell save DC as a player character, you can start doing a lot of crazy shit in combat. And I think they, they, they and many other people, myself included, when homebrewing fall into the trap of all right this magic item is plus one plus two or plus three maybe it levels and then it's got some extra little zhuzh to make it fancy and i'm not personally against that but when you're when you're looking at a published work it is a little bit sad to see uh especially when uh we you get to the section on uh horde magic items the idea of the 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 implementation of the horde magic item and the example that they give is like the most bog standard hmm. implementation you could possibly imagine. It's like, Oh, it's a plus one and then it's a plus two and then it's a plus three and you can basically use a breath weapon. <laughs> yeah. So a little disappointing, but again, this book is not for 
players. Right. And uh, while magic items are often for DMs, it is, it is definitely a player character option at the end of the day. And it's got a lot of bones and it's got a lot of systems in place there for unique magic items related to dragons. And it's really kind of encouraging homebrew, yes. I would say, uh, which I'm not against. Next, we got the dragons in play section. That's chapter three. This is pretty much all about role playing your dragons, dragon followers, uh, the encounters, adventures, campaigns, how you can implement dragons into your storytelling. And I think this section is really where, though it's not the bulk of the book, I feel like that's really where the meat and potatoes of this book yeah. is. You yeah, know? I would say, I would agree with that. There, Like I said, there are so many tables, um, like big tables, D20 tables, of everything from, you know, how your, how your dragon could be decorated. Because obviously not every dragon is just a take it out and put it down um take it take the take the code take, out put it on the table take it out flip it around slap it down yeah exactly um uh what is it what is, uh drop down flip it reverse it if it's worth it let me work it okay <laughs> the role playing of the dragons here meat and potatoes it gives you a lot of uh, interesting ways, uh, interesting ways that I didn't think of as, as someone who spoilers for one of the campaigns I run. There is a dragon. I said there wasn't a dragon. There is a dragon. Okay. I always just kind of thought, oh, yeah, there'll be a dragon. They'll probably encounter it at some point and it'll just be a cool fight. This gave me a lot of insight into how to make instead of just a combat encounter surrounding a dragon, more a small adventure pertaining to a dragon, interacting with a dragon, uh, maybe not knowing that it is a dragon. A mm -hmm. lot of dragons get polymorph and are able to make themselves look like humanoids. And this book also leads into a lot of ideas of dragon followers, having a cult that worships a dragon, having uh, dragons that are at war with other dragons and other dragon followers and might hire a party to try and, you know, find a dragon and fuck them up. <laughs> I think what you're getting at is something that we all fall into, which is that every creature is kind of that, you know, bog standard. Like every dragon basically ends up being Smau. Yeah. And every cult ends up being just a creepy bunch of dudes in robes devil worship yeah all the all alike um so yeah and, and i realized i've definitely done that myself and like you said if it's like a dragon especially if they're rare in the world like they should be a special encounter it shouldn't necessarily just be like yes you walk up the mountain and there's a big green scaly thing there yeah spoiler alert again for my campaign it's definitely not at the top of a mountain Definitely not a green. <laughs> Y'all can look forward to that. I had a thought. Did it hurt? Always. Okay. I, the the way that it really frames the dragons here, it, it it really runs the gambit from your young, your newborn dragons, all the way up to these ancient dragons that are basically gods. Oh, look at uh, TikTok. Uh, we got a we got a a comment here. Simar Celis says my D my current D&D campaign is suspiciously absent uh, is suspiciously absent of dragons. I'm sure our DM has some chicanery in mm -hmm. mind. First of all, chicanery, great verb. Um adjective, verb. Chicanery. Some chicanery would be a, I don't know. I'm adverb. It feels like an adverb. My mother my mother hates this conversation right now that I don't know the answer. That's fine. Um I totally blanked on. Was it just a comment? Yeah, just a comment. Just a comment, not a question. You were thinking I was just trying to interact with our lovely audience. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but yeah, uh, I I have the opposite problem. Seymour, um, Celis, of uh, I throw dragons in my campaign in every direction. Unfortunately, I, I like I said, I don't do a good job at, at differentiating them from common folk and so definitely the players that 
the the campaign that the players have met a bunch of dragons just kind of treat them like anybody else and uh well there there is one section uh the dragon adventure section that goes into that uh running a dragon as a monster uh running a dragon as a schemer a manipulator uh you, you could if you wanted to get like my mind spins with the possibilities of like do i want like a political intrigue character and they be a dragon because that can work they're very intelligent creatures uh just looking at the stat box like they're probably smarter than your characters by a <laughs> wide margin and then even running a dragon as just power itself i mean a dragon could be a warlock patron it could be a deity for clerics i mean it 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 really does the book does a great job of letting you run the gambit between all the levels and tiers of dragons any thoughts do you have any thoughts any thought uh, actually what you what my my thought was you said warlock patron i'm i'm there is no current subclass for dragonic warlock is there well, one would think that if there was, it would be in this book. You would think, and uh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, and it makes total sense. Uh, a dragon, if, if if you have an adult or an ancient dragon, just the sheer power that this entity has, it could easily grant it to mortal beings. Uh, I mean, it, even the whole section about followers, surely some of those cultists might have a level or two of warlock have eldritch blast have you know some of the warlock staples and i think i th really think that we need to make a short little dragon supplement of homebrew to add on to this book yes yes we uh we should i like that idea i like that i like that and we'll probably make it free to you guys if you want to support us then it'll be like one of those pay what you want on a something or other check uh be sure to follow uh our twitter tiktok uh youtube Just, you you'll be you'll be able to get updates about all this stuff uh we also have a discord server uh if you go to our tiktok we have a link tree that has links to all that cool yeah um yeah so i probably should have i probably should have done that at the beginning well i mean again this is uh I assume we'll just chop that in. Like, we'll chop this part of the podcast out where we're talking about the logistics of the podcast. And at the end, we'll insert the, hey, follow us on YouTube at Dungeon Bros and things like that. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, we're going to do it at the end. Yes. I'm just saying, since we didn't do it at the beginning, I really like the idea of in the middle of this conversation about <laughs> how to roleplay dragons being like, oh, right. Promote it. We're promoting we it. We should probably promote our shit. Anyway, moving anyway, on. Yes, back to dragons. Moving on. Moving on. Chapter four. Chapter four. Layers and hordes. Uh, it's got some uh, interesting ideas for your dragon layers, interesting lair actions, regional effects, hordes, the age, linking hordes, plundering a horde, different quirks of a horde and a lair, depending on the personality of the dragon, kinds of treasures, creating a horde as a DM. Again, it just kind of expands a lot of the options that you would find in the monster manual about a dragon and having lair actions as a boss monster and trying to make that more uh, varied, more interesting, more personalized to the dragon. I think the whole point of this book is taking something that seems general, seems like everybody gets, um, at least in a general sense, and then giving you the tools and giving you the inspiration to really drill down onto individual personalities and making them individual beings as opposed to just monsters or creatures. Right. And it also takes the weight um, off of, like you were saying, takes the weight off of doing homebrew um, from scratch because... I know I've seen people, uh, I've had people come to me and be like, hey, can you look at this homebrew thing I made uh, and tell me if it's good? And, and, and more often than not, it is definitely um, not in line with what current 5e Dungeons and Dragons is built to be. Being able to reference something like this uh, is very helpful. You know, it's very easy for a, a DM or a player to be like oh this i like the idea of this let me let me just write it out how i think it should be done here's an example 
this is actually a 3.5 versus 5e um, example I've seen where in 3.5 the uh, rules for shoving or grappling a monster were like 3,000 words long. In 5e it's 150. Um, and so it's that same thing where it's like, oh, you wrote out this really complicated version of an ability. Here, look, we have we have this similar ability. Let's let's break it down to that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a good way to one get into homebrew, but to also take the weight off your shoulders of homebrew creation. Absolutely. If you look at some of the popular, uh, like the D and D wikis or the homebrew magic item lists and sites, they can get a little bit uh, bloated. They can get a little bit unnecessarily large. And in books like this really help just kind of narrow it down. Uh, if you don't have anything else left to say, it's kind of a mechanical chapter, I would say, for the most part. A hundred percent. All right. And it, the only other thing is that is the horde, the random horde generation table. Primo. You are Love a big them. fan. You are a big fan of the random, random table. Mm -hmm. You are no longer. <laughs> I well, in theory, I like it. I I don't think they ever really go my way. <laughs> yes. I've yet I. How many we've probably had between the campaigns that we play in? I think I have rolled on probably a dozen random tables for treasure and loot, and I've gotten fucking nothing worthwhile. I've gotten gold, I've gotten gems, I've gotten fucking cantrip spell scrolls, which I don't want to talk about. <laughs> I, I think that's a great story. And maybe for another podcast. All right. But yes, if you want to hear that, uh, let us know. <sighs> if you want to hear the embarrassing tales that Connor has to tell, let us know. Moving on. So Chap moving on. Fizzbins. Chapter 5, The Dragonomicon. Chapter 5, The Dragonomicon. This is where they get into a lot of the established lore of the various types of dragons, uh, dragon adventures, lairs, treasures, legends, all the different types, amethyst, the chromatic, the color, the gem dragons. I will say my big, my big, this is all great. This is all just good, useful stuff to have if you really want to dive into it. My big problem with this section and probably most of the book is there is a lot of dragon lance. It's really heavy in the Dragonlance iconography and the Dragonlance lore. And if you're not really familiar with it, like me, and I'm sure my brother hates that I still have not read any of the Dragonlance books. I haven't either. It's kind of dense and a lot of shit doesn't make sense. But if you just kind of take it for what it is, it can give you a lot of good inspiration for your own lore in your own campaigns pertaining to dragons. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to say on this section. All right. Um, well, let me say something real quick, and then we'll go to a TikTok comment. Um, yes, it's it's just more of chapter three pulled out and put in another chapter. Just individual dragons. Um, when you get down to it, like you said, mm -hmm. it's just more. Real quick on the TikTok comment. Uh, C. Marcellus says, what would be an example of a horde rolled from the table be? He says, oh, no, it's too late. Don't worry. Uh, we could do that right now. Let's All right. We got it. We got it. Let's see here. We have plenty we of got time. time. Yeah. So uh, Dragon hordes. Uh, creating a horde. 72. So we're going to create a horde here just real quick. 72. 72. Okay. Creating a horde contains each of the items listed for the dragon's age category. Each uh, mundane item, gen, arp, gem, art object, magic item indicated in the list, uh, or you can roll on an appropriate table. It's got some breakdowns here for uh, payouts for wormlings, young dragons, adult dragons, and uh, ancient dragons. And it's got uh, breakdowns for how much copper, silver, gold, mundane items, gems, art objects, and magic items should be found in the entirety of the horde. It then gives you some charts on the next page. Uh, it's got a D100 chart for mundane items, and it's like a painting from an artist. Here, let's um, uh, roll. roll. Do, it this, do, do, yeah. do some rolls real quick here. Let me see that. Let me see that. Let me see the book. Come on. Let me see that. Let me see that book. You rolled, you rolled last time. I, I rolled, rolled last time. time. All right. So um, D100? Uh, let, let's, uh, let's say, yeah, let's say you are getting a, a young dragon horde. So uh, you get... Um, 
a D100's, uh, you get four mundane items. So go ahead and just roll real quick for me. Uh, we got a 97. 97. So you have an extensive historical record in the form of carefully uh, knotted strings. Interesting. We got a 48. 48. You also get a crude flute with a pleasing sound. Oh, it'd be bad if it wasn't pleasing. Uh, we got a 93. A 93. A jar of dead illithid tadpoles floating in preserving chemicals. We'll get to the Elder Brain Dragon. <laughs> 92. What the? 92. A small shrine with a statuette, a brazier, and an altar dedicated to a god worshipped by many of the dragon's minions. Fascinating. I also so, said it wrong. It's brazier. So okay. as 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 uh, the question asked, there's a bunch of tables there. It's got breakdowns for uh, gold. It's got breakdowns for magic items as well. Um, I assume the magic items are both new in the book and uh, um, from the DMG as well. Uh, let's see. Um, okay. Uh, the magic item table does uh, all of them are found in the DMG. All of them? All of them are oh, referencing tables in the DMG. Unless there's oh. on the so it, so they something. reference individual uh, magic item tables yep. in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Yes, indeed. So really, if you're just kind of figuring out a horde, this is kind of a quick, like, it's on two pages that are on the same, uh, that are on the same piece of paper. <laughs> I think no. Yeah, how are yeah. books made? I don't fucking. <laughs> I know how books are made. I promise. Anyway, moving on. Yes. Ah, what the next the next section the of this book, Earth. chapter six. This is probably like sixty to seventy percent of the entire book itself. Yes, is just the bestiary, and it's got a lot of what you would expect. Uh, it's got your your chromatic dragons. It's got your crystal dragons. Your gem dragons. Uh, draconians, which are dragonborn, effectively. Uh, I believe their origin is in Dragonlance. Don't quote me on that, because as we established earlier, I have not read Dragonlance. Everybody quote him, please. Please quote me. Uh, just on got... the next TikTok video of ours, you see, uh, just say, I'm quoting Connor on this. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> please do. Um, it's also got uh, a couple stat blocks for followers of dragons. Uh, dragon turtles. Oh my gosh. I am so happy that there is a dragon turtle that isn't just a massive island anymore. <laughs> you've got a young one. You've got, like, you can, you can actually implement these at different levels of campaign. And I'm very happy about that. Big fan of the dragon turtle. Uh, you got, we're going to skip over E <laughs> for a moment. Ghost dragons, horde mimic, horde scarabs, hollow dragons, metal metallic sentinels, moonstone dragon. It's got a lot of variety. Um, I I am very happy with the bestiary because they could have easily just rehashed what was in the monster manual, Mm -hmm. um, but they didn't. And they and like you were getting there at the end, they've added the the um, the gem dragons, the gem dragons, which. I know there are gem dragons here. I personally am not going to use them. I'm going to use the ones from Matt Colville. I like those better. Mm-hmm. That is neither here nor there. But um, I like that they added the uh, supplementary dragon character. So like the things like the Horde Scarab. Mm-hmm. I like that idea where, you know, you once a day, they fly past you, they dust you, and if you fail the save, then the dragon knows where you are. And it's as simple as that. And that's a great thing for trapping any care you know not yep. not like trapping but like as a as an option for a trap in a dragon's horde yep. even if you are running a, a lower level campaign uh that wouldn't be able to face like an adult or a, or an ancient dragon you could have an entire encounter which is basically just a skill check encounter of trying to sneak in and steal loot from a dragon's horde and then you can have it uh these scarabs give the dragon the ability to track them and know where they are and now you've got a BBEG that it has that's personally tied to the party that has it that's invested in what the party has done to them. And uh, with all the role playing benefits from this book, you can figure out how to role play that, how to incorporate that dragon 
in the campaign, make it an NPC, make it kind of an overseeing sort of evil that's constantly making the party look over their shoulder. And then when you have that eventual dragon fight, uh, it's going to be a lot more impactful as an encounter instead of just a fun combat. Actually, something uh, that I've I've had in the back of my mind for a long time, and it wouldn't work in a, a normal just D&D campaign setting, is you could always play with the timey-wimey, but meeting a dragon as a wormling, and then, you know, at the end of the campaign, meeting them again as an ancient, but... Because, like, again, you could play timey-wimey, but I hate yeah. doing that. But unfortunately, to get from a wormling to an ancient dragon, that's uh, that's a couple thousand years. Yeah, um, maybe maybe uh, oops, all elves, oops, all elves. That could that could be a thing. <laughs> um, actually, there is our little project that we're working on coming that's up true. here in the future. That's true. Uh, spoiler alert: We want to stream D and D online, or at the very least, record it, edit it, and post it online. Again, follow the socials, link tree on the TikTok page. But uh, yeah, we plan to span the timeline a little. And so maybe that'll come up. Maybe that'll come up. I would like that to come up now. TikTok, keep me honest. Now, I think this is as good a time as any to address the eldritch horror in the room. (laughs) I don't know what the fuck they're thinking. And I don't know where they get off thinking that it is just like, okay... To create a, an elder brain dragon, uh, Sam, please yes. uh, explain to to the to the listeners at home what is an elder brain dragon. Uh, an elder brain. I'll dragon. tell you what it is. It's fucking terrifying. If you know what an elder brain is, it is the hive mind of an illithid colony, and uh, the elder brain dragon is what happens if this extremely powerful hive mind takes over a dragon. And I'm going to tell you what that ha- <laughs> I'm going to tell you what happens. What happens is you have a legendary creature that has four legendary resistances every single day. It has a tadpole brine breath weapon. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the Ilfids, they're shooting tadpoles at you. And uh, if you fail your save, you're taking 10d10 psychic damage, 120 foot line, 15 foot wide area. You get infested by the fucking tadpoles, and if you die while you have a tadpole, you become an illithid. Mm-hmm. It also has a legendary action that just straight up is it, it targets someone who's concentrating on a spell, deals them damage, and forces them to break concentration on the spell. So, it's terrifying. Yes. I hate it. Uh, the picture in the book is fucking horrifying. We made a TikTok about it. And um, two two TikToks about it because it is a fucking abomination. I hate that it exists and I can't wait to use it. <laughs> um, since we're on the topic of, uh, of, of, of the bestiary, um, there is something I wanted to see your thoughts on. Oh um, I've vaguely seen it, but a lot of these uh, dragons have um, an ability that... Initially, when the party reduces them to zero, instead mm. of dying, the dragon will regain a large number of their hit points, usually uh, a good a good uh, four-fifths of the 80% of their hit points, yeah. oftentimes putting them back up to like 400. Um, and then for the next hour, they unlock uh, mythical actions, which are mm-hmm. additional legendary actions. Um, uh, what, what are your thoughts on it? Well, this is the... This is the classic villain final boss video game where, ooh, makes you think that you beat Sephiroth. You didn't beat Sephiroth. You beat Sephiroth's first form. Now you have to fight fucking God Sephiroth that's as large as a planet. Then, after you defeat God Sephiroth, you have to have a one-on-one in your like intel- interior like mental space with shirtless Sephiroth. Um... I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. I love the idea of getting your party very, very used to the combat routine. You fight, you cast your spells, you deal your damage. Maybe occasionally you get out of combat by not actually fighting. I respect that. Uh, you reduce it to tar- you reduce the target to zero. They go down. Then what happens? 
So you keep the initiative going. All right, it's your turn. What do you want to do? What, what do you mean? The dragon's dead, right? Yeah. I inspect to make sure the dragon's dead. Yeah, the dragon's dead. And you just keep that going, and you keep that going, and then it's the dragon's turn, and then it pops back up. <laughs> I love that. I love it. It's very, it's very video gamey. It's definitely not for every table. I'm a fan. I think overall, like you said, really cool idea. Um, I think, I think you can implement it once a campaign. Yeah, because as as cool as that idea is, and again, of course, sans homebrew. Um, after you do it the first time, it's going to be a little underwhelming. You're like, okay, because a lot of them, it's just like, ah, you can um, now make a bite attack as a legendary action instead of a claw attack. Yeah. Um, and things like that. There are some very cool ones, but like I said, do it too many times, and you're going to get the ugh, this again. But as as as, but of course, a lot of these are CR twenty two to CR 30. So you're not going to be fighting too many of them. Per Agreed. Campaign, Agreed. Even at high levels. Uh, one last thing in the Beasteria I want to point out. The aspect of Bahamut and the aspect of Tiamat. Mm-hmm. Very big fan. Um, I believe there is already a stat block for Tiamat proper in... Um, oh, what is it? Horde of the Dragon Queen. That's it. There's already a stat block for Tiamat and Horde of the Dragon Queen. Mm-hmm. And I like having uh, these lower-powered ver- uh, versions of Tiamat and Bahamut. Uh, those are truly the god dragons of dragons. Yes. Um, yes. And having stat blocks for the sort of god avatars, is I really like. Uh, I love the idea of the gods of your D&D campaign shouldn't really have a stat block a lot of the time. They should just kind of exist. And uh, maybe if you want to have them fight a god, instead of fighting the god directly, having them fight a powerful avatar or one of their high priests or something like that. And I think these aspects, the aspect of Bahamut and the aspect of Tiamat can help uh, facilitate that. And that's just in general uh, a DMing and a world building philosophy that I like to ascribe by and I like to see it in the book. Yeah, there's a... I guess a meme, not meme, but like a, a a commonality where you know if you introduce something to your players, eventually they'll want to fight it. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I also think that um, most campaigns should not end with you fighting literal gods and be ascending to godhood and maybe yeah. maybe one shots, maybe individual camp and like mini campaigns. Maybe but- maybe fighting someone who is trying to ascend to godhood and interrupting that. Critical Role Campaign 1, Critical Role Campaign 2. Plenty of other I presume Critical Role Campaign 3. We're on Episode 2, but... Um, There is one thing, more thing, I would like to point out in the Beastiary, and that um, that is going to be the Lion Drake. The Lion Um, Drake? The Lion Drake. Because, um... If I can open up the page here... Look how adorable he is. Okay. That is an... The Lion Drake is very adorable. Yes. I, I, I love him dearly. If you have a copy, open it up. To 207. 207. If not, Google Lion Drake. He's a very good boy. Yes. Very yes. good boy. Yes. Deserves all the scratches. Anyway. So. All said and told. All said and told. Fizzman's Treasury of Dragons. Mm-hmm. If you got dragons, go for it. If you're a player... Eh. If you have aspect or aspirations of being a DM, if you have aspirations of being a DM, if you are a DM, if you want dragons, if you like Dragonlance, I think there's a lot here for you. I see this as an unequivocal win. Yes, yes, I am not disappointed that you spent the money to buy this. Yes, happy birthday! Thank you. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Well, this has been episode one of the Dungeon Bros podcast. We would like to end this podcast with uh questions or comments from our fans if you listen to the podcast you can tweet at us at dungeon bros yt you can dm us there you can uh comment on tiktoks maybe maybe tune in for the live when we're recording it on tiktok Mm -hmm. uh or i think the best place would be to join our discord server uh dungeon bros 
You can find a link to the Discord server on our TikTok page. It's in the link tree. That would be, I would say, the most efficient way to get our attention, for sure. Um, do we have any comments from the live stream? Oh, hey, Seymour uh, Sellis, once again, says, Great first cast, guys. Sorry I couldn't make it for uh, the beginning. That is okay. That is okay. It the will... beginning was just us futzing around with the audio technology. For sure. For sure. There will be a lot to iron out as time goes on. Um, you will definitely be able to find the full podcast edited and ready to post up on YouTube, uh, Dungeon Bros. YT. Uh, you will also eventually be able to find them on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you want uh, to listen to podcasts. That being said... Unless we have anything else to say, uh, I mean, just uh, I mean, something we uh, we want to make sure that we're always grateful for the people that have consumed our content. So, so since grateful. we have no no expectations, we we would someday like to have a Patreon. But as of we now, would. we're just going to thank uh, uh, those who have interacted with us a bit in the TikTok chat. Where C Marcellus, thank you. Um, Nordic, uh, Nordic MTG, thank you, um, and Leisina 90 Day, thank you, and Little All Might, thank and you. And Little All Might. Uh, oh, and Andrew Bear 276 thank you uh, all so much for interacting on interacting. the uh, TikTok Live. Uh, there were some people that I saw that were trying to host it. I don't know what that means. Also, our our phone that's doing the live is on the other side of the table so we you're over there so we couldn't hit the accept button i think but we really appreciate that um i also want to give a shout out to our friend andy he did the music for this podcast uh if you hate it deal because he it's is good. he is at shitsu posting on shitsu all posting. on all media youtube uh tiktok instagram uh, uh and t twitter twitter that's the one the tweeter Beyond that, I hope you all enjoy your campaigns. Please tell us what's going on. Don't forget to dungeon all of the dragons. All of them that are in the treasury of dragons. Yes. Fizzbins, specifically. Um, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, in the meantime, peace. <laughs>